When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host Isabel Hauser and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. Magic. Five letters that put a sparkle into the eyes of every child and a smirk on the lips of most adults. I would argue that it is all around us and I'm happy to tell you that the stories in this episode are all about magic. So sit back, relax and let the two tellers put a spell on you with the final podcast episode of this year. There is a mountain that I can see from my house on a clear day. Now, living in the heart of Switzerland, there are bound to be mountains all around me, but this one is really special. Its name translates to queen, and it is majestic indeed, looking out over land, sky and lakes since the beginning of time. Every once in a while, I like to take a trip to the very top of that mountain. Sometimes I take the funicular and comfortably ride all the way up. Other times I like to hike, climbing my way through forests and pastures. Last Sunday I felt it was time for another one of those trips. It was a cold winter's day. The clouds hung low in the sky, heavy with the promise of snow. As I left the house, the first flakes came trundling down from the sky and I started my ascent through a flurry of snow. Up and up I climbed, my boots crunching on the snow that started to pile up. Up and up I climbed, my breath a steady puff of steam. Up and up I climbed, and the higher I got, the more the snowfall lightened. When I had reached the top, I walked to my favorite lookout point. The snow had stopped and the clouds had cleared away, revealing a deep blue sky and a breathtaking view. The snow-capped alps on the horizon stood out like cutouts against the evening sky. I felt like I had made it to the very top of the world and turned to sit on the bench to enjoy the view. But I was surprised to find that the bench had been replaced by a set of swings. Now, if you know me, you also know that I just cannot resist a good set of swings. So as the stars came out and the moon rose up in the sky, I began to swing higher and higher 
and faster and faster, so high and so fast that I imagined I could fly. And on a whim, I did what I had never done before. I let go and I flew into the evening sky. The first teller for this episode is Anne Shimojima. Anne tells folk tales from around the world and stories from her Japanese heritage, reminding us that to be human is to travel the most fascinating journey of all. She says that stories help us find our place in the world today, and she has just released a new CD called Sakura Tales Stories from Japan. This is her sharing the magical tale of the golden crane. In a tiny fishing village, there lived a young boy named Taro. He was not like the other boys in the village, for he could neither hear nor speak. He lived with his father, who was a fisherman. Taro was a bright boy, and as he grew older, he learned by watching his father. And all the villagers helped him. Like the other fishermen, his father fished at night all night long. One night, as he was on his boat, a storm blew up so strong, the rain pouring down, the wind so wild, that in the morning he did not come home. All day, Taro stood by the side of the water, waiting, looking out to the horizon for a sign. All day he stood and waited. Until at last the sun went down and he was alone. In the early evening, an old man came down from the mountain. Everyone called him Ojisan, which means uncle. He was a friend of Taro's and he knew that the boy was alone. So he walked up to Taro by the water's edge and he said, Taro, you come home with me. You can live with me. And because the boy could not hear him, He took Taro by the hand, and in the warm circle of light from the lantern that he held, he led Taro to his house up the side of the mountain, and from that day they lived together. Now Ojisan was a fisherman too. He would take his boat out in the early evening and fish all through the night. In the early morning hours, Taro would go down to the water's edge and help him unload his boat. But sometimes, Taro would wake up early and walk up the mountain from the house to a temple that stood there, and he would wait for the sunrise. For every morning, a flock of golden cranes would rise up into the air and fly overhead. The black sky would get lighter and lighter, and the flock of golden cranes would rise up, their wings shining in the sunlight, beating in the morning air. And Taro would throw up his arms as if to say, Oh, birds! You are so beautiful. One morning, Ojisan returned from his night's fishing to find Taro waiting for him at the side of the water. The boy seemed distraught. He could not speak, so he grabbed the old man's hand and pulled him toward the mountain path, toward the temple. Up and up they went, and when they came to the temple, there in the road lay a golden crane with one wing injured. Ojisan bent down and carefully, gently slid his arms under the bird. It did not fight him. He carried the bird home and laid it on the floor before the fire. He mixed an ointment and carefully, gently spread it on the wound. 
Taro tried to feed it a piece of dried fish, but the bird would not eat. Every day, Taro sat by the bird and stroked its body. He watched the bird sleep. Finally, on the third morning, the bird pecked at a piece of fish that Taro held out. Each day, the bird ate a little more and became a little stronger. But by now, word was spreading throughout the village of a golden crane in Oji-san's house. No one had ever seen one of these birds so close. They began to come, first alone, and then in groups larger and larger, to see the bird and marvel at its golden wings shining so brightly that a light seemed to surround it even in the dark house. One day a wealthy merchant came to Oji-san's house. He rode a large white horse and wore robes of fine silk. He offered Oji-san ten boxes of gold coins in exchange for the bird. He opened one box. The gold pieces shone as brightly as the bird's wings. Oji-san had never seen so much gold in all his life. But he shook his head. I cannot sell you this bird. It does not belong to me. And he sent the merchant away. One day the lord of the whole region came. He sat in Oji-san's house for a long time, staring at the bird, thinking of the golden cage he would build to hold it. He offered to make Oji-san the headman of the village in exchange for the bird. But Oji-san refused. I am sorry. It is a wild animal. It needs to be free. I cannot sell this bird. Each day, the crane was growing stronger. Taro fed it patiently. Soon it would be able to fly again. But by now, stories about the crane had spread throughout the country all the way to the emperor's palace. When the emperor heard about this magnificent bird, he decided that truly a creature so unusual, so beautiful, so precious, could only belong to an emperor. He sent a messenger to the village to announce that he, the emperor himself, would arrive at the village in one week's time at sunrise to collect the bird. Oji-san knew then that he would have to give up the crane. There was nothing he could do. No one dared disobey the emperor. The village was in a state of excitement to think that the emperor was coming to their little town. Everything was cleaned and made ready. In one week's time, they all gathered in the dark early morning hours out by the side of the road. Oji-san and Taro waited in front, and there beside them was the golden crane. In the distance, they could hear the sound of drums, muffled at first and then louder and louder. They looked down the road to see soldiers row after row, and then the emperor himself riding a huge black horse. And at that moment, the sun rose over the horizon and the black sky turned lighter and lighter until suddenly the flock of golden cranes rose in the sky, flying overhead, and then they turned and flew straight toward the village, closer and closer, their feathers golden in the sun, so bright and blinding that the people fell to their knees. The soldiers turned away, even the emperor had to close his eyes. All they heard was the beating of the wings, and then a boy's voice crying aloud, Oh, birds, you are so beautiful. The sound of wings faded. Slowly the people opened their eyes and stood one by one. The soldiers turned. The emperor looked at the road, but the golden crane was gone. 
Gone, too, were Taro and Oji-san. They had been carried away by the flock of golden cranes into the light of the rising sun. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Ant and Grasshopper's Preparedness Office. As the year is coming to a close, we are only getting started. As the leading experts in all areas of work and rest, we help you develop a detailed 12-step plan of when to unplug and play and when to buckle down and get stuck in. With the service of Ant and Grasshopper's Preparedness Office, your storehouse will be filled with grain, your shelves never out of books, your needles threaded, your shed stacked with straw to spin to gold, all of next year and forevermore. No season will be left up to chance and no eventuality will be faced unprepared. Use the momentum of your fresh good intentions and book your appointment today. Ant and Grasshopper's Preparedness Office. Your success is our guarantee. We are approaching the end of the year, and in the bustle of the holidays, I would like to take a moment and look back. What a year it has been for the podcast. We started out with 2,000 listeners and are now at 4,000, with usually 2,000 downloads within the first week. And I am amazed to say that our listeners come from all around the world. In fact, our top 10 cities include Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, Sydney, Bangkok, and Hanoi in Vietnam. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. We say that a story is not complete without a listener, and the podcast would not be what it is without you. Speaking of stories... This year, 70 different storytellers have graced our ears and hearts with their stories. Thank you for sharing the magic of this ancient art with us, and we are looking forward to hearing more from you next year. And last but not least, 10 more patrons of the arts decided to start supporting the podcast. I extend a special and personal thank you to you, for you made it possible that I could join the podcast as a guest host. Diving into the magical realm of the Story Story podcast has truly been one of my personal highlights this year, and I would not be here without you. We hope that as the podcast continues to grow, it will continue to bring that bit of magic to your days that makes life just a bit more wonderful. I was flying. I beat my arms like wings and rose higher and higher into the sky. An exhilarated laugh escaped my throat. I was flying. The stars twinkled above, so close I felt like I could almost touch them. And below me, the landscape glittered with snow and thousands and thousands of Christmas lights. Gliding through the air, I was so enthralled that I failed to notice the carriage that came rushing towards me. There would have been a terrible crash had I not made a sharp downward turn. I turned to see what it was. Two snow-white horses 
harnessed to a carriage made from sparkling ice. A beautiful woman, cloaked in white fur, held the reins with one silk-gloved hand and whipped the lash with the other. Icicles sparked and flew through the air. Before the wondrous sight disappeared from view, I saw a child, a small boy, peeking out from the back of the carriage, and my heart grew cold, so cold. I floated closer to the earth. I was right above a city, buzzing with the hustle and bustle of the last days before Christmas. But not everyone was hurrying in and out of shops. In a dark side alley, I spotted a girl, racks barely protecting her haggard body from the biting cold. She lit a match and tried to warm her frozen fingers, and then another, and another, and they all went out in a single breath. Then she lit the whole bundle of matches that she had in her hand, and they gave a light so bright I closed my eyes for a moment. When I opened them again, an old woman had gathered the girl in her arms and was carrying her away. My heart grew heavy, so heavy that I feared I might plummet down to earth like a rock. Suddenly, I longed for the warmth of my apartment, my family, candles, a steaming cup of tea. Home, I thought. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place. The swing was gently swaying, slowly coming to a halt. The air was perfectly quiet. I could barely move my fingers, so tightly were they grasped around the chain of the swing. I could barely open my eyes, for my eyelashes were almost frozen to my cheeks. And when I did open my eyes, I found myself alone on the top of the mountain. Was it but a dream? The second teller for this episode is Milbra Birch. Milbra is a Grammy-nominated spoken word recording artist and known internationally for her storytelling. She strongly believes in the healing power of art, the gift of language, the grace of listening, the building of community, and the wisdom of women. She says that a woman's voice is a mighty voice, and I agree. Listen for yourself as Milbert tells The Magic Garden. Long ago in Kazakhstan, there lived next to each other a farmer and a shepherd. Now the one plot of land was rich and fertile. The other plot of land was stony, but still the sheep of the shepherd enjoyed those tough grasses that grow amongst the rocks. And so they lived well side by side. They shared so much of their lives that it seemed as though they were related by blood. But one season, a fever came over the flock, and every single one of the sheep perished. The shepherd 
did not know what to do. He could not farm that land. There was no way to get back all that he had lost. So at last he came to his friend, the farmer, and said, My family and I, we must go to the city, see if we can find some work, or beg if need be. The farmer said, No, you are like family to us. Our lives are richer because you are beside us. Stay here, I will give you half my land. Work it as your own. When you have made enough money to replenish your flocks, you can become a shepherd once more. And so it was agreed. The shepherd began to farm. One day as he was digging in his new plot, his shovel struck something hard in the ground. He found an earthen jar. It was heavy. He pulled it up. And when he unstoppered it, he was astonished to see it was filled to the brim with gold coins. He lifted it up and he carried it quickly to the farmer. He said, look, I've unearthed this treasure on your land. And he handed the gold in the earthen jar to the farmer. The farmer said, but this is not mine. You're the one who dug it up. No, no, said the shepherd. It was on your land. No, no, said the farmer. I had given it that land to you. And for the first time in their lives, they were arguing. They did not know how to settle this matter. So they thought that they would go to the wise man in their village and ask what he would suggest they do. Now they found him under a tree near a field that belonged to him. He was teaching four students. When the farmer and the shepherd came before them and told the story and asked what should happen, the wise man said, let me ask my students what should be done with this treasure. So he turned to the first of the students, and that young man said, these two have never fought before. They are fighting now over something that was dug out of the earth. They should bury the treasure again and go on being friends. Ah, said the wise man. And what do you think? He turned to the next. Well, I think that they should pay this money to the judge. That's you for deciding what should be done. Ah, said the wise man. And you? The third of the students said, Well, all treasure belongs to the Khan. You should take it into the city and give it to the leader of our nation. Ah, said the wise man. And you, he asked. The fourth student said, I have always dreamed of making a beautiful garden for the poor. In it, sweet, clean waters would flow. The grass would be like a carpet so that you might sit or lie there in great comfort and peace. There would be flowers so fragrant that they fed the soul. There would be trees full of fruit that would feed the body. If I had a treasure, I would make such a garden. And the wise man smiled. Then take this treasure, my son, if these two agree, and bring what you've seen in your mind and heart to fruition. Well, the farmer and the shepherd agreed immediately, and the wise man gave the field behind his teaching tree that the student might come back and make the garden there, but first he must take the money into the city and buy seeds of all kinds. 
Well, that student had never been to the city before. He carried that heavy jar upon his back, and when he got to the city, oh, such sights and smells and sounds. A caravan was passing by before he even got to the marketplace, and he saw that the camels were burdened with birds, tied and trapped. Some of them lay against the sides of the camels, hanging by their noosed feet. Their cries were like tiny broken parts of their songs. Stop, said the student, without thinking. The caravan driver said, why? Where are you going with those birds, all those trapped birds? I am taking them to the Khan. I am sure he will eat some of them, and he will cage some of them, and he will give the feathers to the women of his household. Don't do that, said the young man. You've got to let them go. I do. Ha, why? Are you going to buy them from me? Yes, said the student without thinking. I will. And he took the earthen jar, placed it on the ground, and when he showed the money he had, the caravan driver knew that it was at least as much, if not more, than the Khan would have paid. So he cut the leather thongs that held the birds, tied or in cages, and he left the student with the birds there, and he began to make his way on into the marketplace. The student went along the road and untied each thing that bound a bird tight or lifted up each door to each cage. And he brought water from the stream, and he brought it close enough that the birds might sip and one by one they shook themselves off, and then one by one they flew into the sky. And what a sight it was to see, so beautiful to see the sky so full of birds of every kind. It filled his heart, and when they were gone, only then did he remember that he had been entrusted with the gold to buy seeds. He had bought the birds instead, and the birds were gone. And he felt like a fool. He turned, and he began to walk back toward the village. And he stopped in the field that had been given to him and he fell to his knees, and he wept. But all about him, in that field, there were birds. And they came close to him, and they said, We've heard about you. Our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles have told us about you, what you did for our race, and we are here to help you. And so the birds began to pack on the ground and turn it over and make it ready for seeds. The larger of the birds carved a stream through that land with their talons, and a great stream bubbled up and began to pour through it a clear stream of crystal water. The birds flew in every direction, and they came back with seeds, and they dropped the seeds into the holes that they had made. 
and the larger birds stood at the side of the field and began to fan it with their wings and blow upon it with their warm breath. And grass began to grow up from the earth and flowers began to blossom and trees rose up out of the ground. They put out leaves, they put out flowers, they put out fruit until before his eyes, by this magic, the young man saw the garden that he had imagined. Now others saw it too. And those who had horses and camels, those who had much and wanted more, they began to make their way in a hurry to that beautiful place. But when they came close to the edges of that garden, a great stone wall rose out of the earth on four sides, and in the center of one of those walls was an iron gate, and it closed itself and locked seven locks, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and barred their way. One man who insisted that he had every right to go into the garden and take the fruit there, he rode up by the wall. He tried to reach over and grasp some of the fruit from the trees, and his camel stumbled, and he fell. And he got up, and he limped away. And at last, those who had nothing or little came walking to see this magical place. And when they arrived, the gates opened, locks unlocking, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and those who had little or nothing came inside. They found that the grass was like a cushion or a bed, the water sweet and clear, the flowers so fragrant it eased the soul, and the fruit all that they needed to live. When night fell, those who had homes went back to them. Those who did not stayed in the garden, and the gates closed, and the locks fastened one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Open the next morning at dawn. And so it came to be a magic garden for the poor out of the dream and the heart of one man. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Anne Shimojima and Milber Birch on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find Rachel Ann and the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Story Story Podcast or rachelannharding.com. And you can find me at isabelhauser.com. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor is Katie Knudsen. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a story seed from Laura Packer. You can find her magical story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let us know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here next year.
as a good intention for next year or a last good deed for 2019, you might consider becoming a patron of the podcast. For as little as $4 a month, you not only help continue the creation of the podcast, but you'll also receive wondrous goodies such as extra stories. Discover sponsorship opportunities and other hidden goodies on storystorypodcast.com. Another good intention or deed might be leaving a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers from around the world find and enjoy the podcast. The podcast will be taking this next week off, but we cannot wait to share more stories with you next year. Until then, have a magical end of the year and live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.